Welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Dr. Joni Cannell shares communication strategies for technical people. She shares her own stories of learning to communicate and brings in other nerds and experts to show you how to interact with people in a way that's comfortable for you. And now, here's your host, the uniquely qualified engineer-turned-psychologist, Dr. Joni Cannell. Hello and welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Today we have a special guest. Her name is Linda Roth. Linda is a consultant who bridges IT expertise with business and lean management. She founded LJR Consulting Services to provide assessment of existing business and IT processes, as well as educate business executives about information technology options and lean business process to help them creatively reduce cost and improve profits. Linda also has a book coming out soon on the digital transformation, which I have read, and I tell you, it is fantastic. So let's all give a really warm welcome to Linda. Thanks very much, Joni. I'm happy to be here, and I'm excited to talk to your audience. Oh, great. Yeah, we're happy to have you because you got so much interesting stuff to say, and we're going to try to pack it in in 30 minutes. So here we go. Uh, first off, you're not just another IT consultant. I knew that the first time I met you, and you have a much broader range here. So tell us, what what is a typical engagement like for you? What do you really do? Um. Well, as, as you mentioned, I spend a lot of time with executives, so um, I don't do uh, the actual technical work anymore. That's mm -hmm. been gone a long time. I, um, I'm generally brought in through a board member or an executive that I've met or has somehow been referred to me, and they usually know they have some sort of problem, but they don't know exactly how to define it, and they don't know what to do next. So that's where I start is, okay, let's evaluate what your problem is and how we're going to start about it. I come up with what we have to do. I find the software products or infrastructure or whatever we need to work on people and organize the whole thing and then tend to manage it. And I, I bring in most of the resources. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, from what I hear, it's, 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 it's pretty spectacular stuff. I mean, things that you've told me that you do. I mean, really helping people see a whole different way of looking at their processes and, and their technology and how they can uh, make some changes um, that, that really uh, radically sort of change what they're doing and get different uh, results. Exactly. Yes. As a matter of fact, in the book, I call it, you need to reimagine your business today. Yes. And um, when I first started out, a lot of it was, was block and tackle type stuff, right? You had to get in the found what I call the foundational systems. Mm -hmm. And those still have to be there. And lots of times today they need to be upgraded. But in the 21st century, you have really got to just completely throw out the rule book of what you've done before and reimagine mm -hmm. what your business, what your products and services are. And um, so we spend a lot of time on that now. Okay. Well, you know, you raised an interesting question here because when you started out, you actually started out as an accountant, didn't you? Way yeah. back when. So tell right us your story. <laughs> yeah. What, what happened there? You were an accountant. How'd you get into this kind of work? Well, um, I never was actually an accountant for, for businesses, okay. but I, I learned accounting first because I grew up in an entrepreneurial home. And as a preteen, my dad had me working on the book work. He would bring home 
and this is in the days before computers, so he would bring everything home and show me how to enter it into the ledger books for the accountants. Mm -hmm. And and then I worked in the office two years as a high schooler in the summertime because he had an HVAC business, so summer was the busiest, and I wasn't going to school, so it was a good place for me to be in the summertime. Right. <laughs> um, so he desperately wanted me to be an accountant when I graduated from high school. Oh, that is so funny. Yeah, and I was not completely thrilled with that, not because I thought accounting was bad necessarily, but because it was going to take too long for me to get a job and be independent. I wanted something faster. Okay. And, and so at this time, colleges were just starting to have um, technology curriculums. And so my high school counselor suggested I go to the junior college and take up the new IT curriculum. Now, there's a lot of accounting in those curriculums in those days. It wasn't just IT stuff, right? Mm -hmm. They had a few IT courses and then business courses. Mm -hmm. So I got a good rounding of both. But I did come out with a, a two-year degree, and I got a nice job at Ralston Purina that satisfied my uh, needs in order to become independent and move out of my parents' house. So oh, yeah. That was the most important part. But at that time, Ralston also had a very generous um, tuition reimbursement program. So I said, okay, I'll go back to school and get my accounting degree. And I did at, at night. But by the time I got that degree, A, I was making more money in IT than I was going to make starting out in accounting. And um, B, I'd, I'd kind of gotten interested in that field. So I just stayed in it. But because of my accounting background, my background growing up in an entrepreneurial home and just having a general interest in business, I quickly moved out of being a, a IT person and a developer and um, moved into management. I started my own software firm in the mid 80s, had my own digital disruption um, problem that mm -hmm. caused my business to fail. And, oh, wow. Uh, and then I started my consulting uh, business to help other businesses transform. Okay, wait a minute. You just like dropped a bomb on us here. So, <laughs> okay, so we're going to be talking about this digital transformation here. Do uh -huh. we get to hear about uh, the lesson that you learned there in your business? Yes. Okay, can, let's yeah. hear it. Okay, well, um, the, the software company I started when I was working for the software companies of the day, which primarily implemented accounting systems, right? And um, I thought, gee, this, this is really good stuff. It helps businesses but it doesn't give any information to executives. And that was one of my big things. So I decided that's what I wanted to create in a software company. So I started a, a, and designed a software product. And I did get a couple of partners that did the technology work and I did the designing. Uh, what would be considered today a precursor to business intelligence apps. And we, okay. called, it, huh. we called it MetaFact. And its job was to give executives reports of product and customer profitability. So um, it was fine in the mainframe days, but in, in the 80s, but then in the early 90s, technology started to change rapidly and you had servers coming out and you know everybody was talking about the death knell of the mainframe computer. And, um, and then the real problem for us was when the National Standards Board said that SQL would be the standard database technology. The database right. we were on and we were partners with this database firm was not a SQL database platform. And so th that company, which was like a high flying technology company at the time went 
like a rock all the way down. And uh, so they got bought out and primarily to put them out of business. And so the new owners of, the, of that company came to us and said, we're not going to buy you and we're not going to honor the contract you had with them. Wow. So now mm -hmm. we had to figure out what we were going to do and fast, right? And, and we had some big name clients then. We had American Express Bank, First Interstate Bank, uh, Shearson Lehman Hutton, Saks Fifth Avenue. These were our clients at so the time. So you're shaking in your boots there. Okay, what'd exactly. you do? <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a disagreement with my, with my um, partners. I said, we need to redesign this system fast. I went out and sold the banking rights to our software to another software company, which gave us a million dollars. So I had the funding to get started on it. But my partners who were the tech guys were in love with the technology they had and didn't want to move mm. to new technology. And they said, oh no, we can keep selling into, you know, the current base, customer base for this software, uh, this database platform we were on. And I said, no, you can't. And so I left before it all crashed down and they tried to go on, but they didn't last a year. Oh, interesting. And wow. so it's, it's a big lesson for today. Yeah. Because there's a lot of companies that are going to face this kind of thing today. Yeah. Being wedded to your technology. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I want to, I want to go into your book for a minute because your book is full of these kinds of stories and the lessons learned and, and the kind of things that people should be looking out for and uh, all that. So I'll let you explain it because you're much better at this. So tell us, first of all, what is the name of your book and what is it about? Okay. The name of the book is Digital Transformation and the Executive Guide to survive and thrive in the new economy. And for me, the key words in there are an executive guide because mm -hmm. it is geared toward executive management and board members. And the purpose of the book is to get them to realize what I couldn't get my partners when I was in the same situation to realize is there is a change coming and it's not just about technology, it's about societal change that is being driven by technology or, or as being enabled, I should say, by technology. Mm -hmm. But it's all about how customers want to function and work differently. It's all about uh, uh, greater efficiency for consumers and B2B customers. It's about increasing the supply chain. It's about a, a whole new different way of doing things. So we look at, um, some of the disruptors. So in the book, you, you know, I spent some time talking about disruptors and innovators that are driving today's digital transformation. Mm -hmm. And um, so if you look at Amazon, I spent some time in the beginning of the book profiling the um, differences and the, and the similarities between Amazon and Sears. And what I found very interesting in the story, it, it, the story came to me because a, a director that I was interviewing, um, he just made kind of, it wasn't a throwaway line, but it was just kind of like a departing line. He said, you know, Sears was the Amazon of their day. So based on that statement, I went and started researching. Yeah. Sears. And the first thing that I found ir eerie comparison was they started almost a hundred years apart. Mm-hmm. Sears started in late 1890s, 
Amazon in 1995, was incorporated in 1995. Sears had decided that he wanted to sell to the interior of the United States, which in the 1890s was very rural, right? And he wanted to sell products into that area. Jeff Bezos said, I want to sell something, anything on the internet. Sears start, Richard Sears started out with watches. He sold watches to people that lived in the interior of the United States. Bezos started out with books. Sears, over the next hundred years, became a major conglomerate, was in a lot of different businesses, uh, became the retailer, you know, the biggest retailer in the United States in the 20th century. They were on the, you know, on the uh, stock exchange and they were a member of the, of the top 10, right? And, um, and then all of a sudden, once Bezos learned how to sell on the internet and Sears didn't pay attention, Sears started collapsing. And today, Sears is almost gone. Mm-hmm. And Amazon is the largest retailer mm-hmm. in the world. Interesting. <laughs> Yeah, I think about back to school shopping. We used to go over to Sears, pick up everything, and now my daughter is just one clicking it. You know, right. her school supplies. Yeah. And why? Because once Bezos got everybody to go online and look at books, then mm-hmm. people started wanting to buy everything mm-hmm. on the internet. Mm-hmm. Right. And it took a while to get all the infrastructure in place for that, as we know that there was a, a bust in the early uh, 2000s where a lot of companies weren't doing well that we're trying to sell on the internet, internet, but they didn't have the, the proper um, business plan and they didn't have the proper structure. And we hadn't gotten all of the supply chain and all of the delivery processes ironed out. And that got ironed out in the early years of the 2000s. And now we see that, that everything is bought off the internet. And especially now this year with, with moving into the COVID thing and, and every store closed, but, right. but they didn't go out of business. Right. You know, Linda, one of the things I loved about reading your book was the comparison like you just made between like Amazon and Sears, but you do it across industries and time and and there's so many similarities. And we sit here and think today, oh, it's different now. It's digital. It's, you know, we have different problems, but we're still all humans and we still have these processes in place and these disruptors that come about Um, And we're still, like you said, at the very beginning here, like we're looking for more efficient processes. We're looking for, you know, broader uh, market share, all that kind of thing. It's the same things that they were looking at back when Sears was starting out, right? And uh, we're just doing it differently. So uh, there are a lot of things to be learned from the past that are applied to our current situation and future. Yes. And not only about the technologies that are changing, but about what society wants. Mm-hmm. And, and how you're going to bring it to them. So two examples I use um, when I'm going through the short history is looking at companies that survived going from what we had in the 1800s, more of an agrarian society through the industrial revolution of the early 20th century. And so I couldn't find much, but I found two car manufacturers, which I thought were the good thing because the internal combustion engine and the automobile was part of what heavily changed us in the 20th century. Yeah. I mean, it was one of the key technologies mm-hmm. that changed the 20th century. And um, so the first one was uh, a manufacturer that of carriages that started first manufacturing chassis for the new car manufacturers. 
And then uh, when in World War I, they started manufacturing ambulances and some military equipment for the US government in World War I right. um, that were on internal combustion mm -hmm. engines. Uh, the reason they went, they went bust shortly after the Great Depression and the reasons that I was reading about them that they gave to it was two things. First of all, Detroit, for whatever reason, had become the hub of the new automotive industry. And they were not in Detroit and not close enough to it. Hmm. So um, they really weren't located in the proper place. They were over in, in Ohio. And then the second was they struggled financially after the Great Depression and never got back on their feet again. The best one was Studebaker. Studebaker was a carriage manufacturer in the 1800s. They did make it through and they made it through to, the, to 1966. But the problem was they didn't learn what the consumer really wanted in these new shiny automobiles. And what is and, that? Well, just a good design. When you, okay. when you look at Studebakers of the 1950s and 60s, mm -hmm. They don't cut it. <laughs> I know you're a car person too, so yeah, you have an expertise there. You can insert here, okay? Right, right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so they didn't make it because they didn't design cars for what the younger generation of the of the 1950s. You know, they were okay during the the 20s and the 30s and and even the 40s when cars weren't that big of a deal and designs weren't that big of a deal. But when you look at the cars of the 19, of the early 1950s, that's when flash came about. The United States came out of the war as the leader of the free world, right? And, and the United States was on a high and the people in it were on a high. I see. And, and they wanted flash. And so your cars, right. you know, got, if you think back to the cars in the 50s, big fins, mm -hmm. right? Um, a whole bunch of chrome on them and things like that. And Studebaker didn't catch on. Oh, that's the same thing with digital. I mean, people, if they want flash, they want video instead of, you know, text or something like that too. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Exactly. And so, so that was the problem they had. And then when you get to this century and I talk about, um, you know, we talk about what Jeff Bezos did, but then if you look at some of the other disruptors I profile and you know, I broke it down into the innovators and the disruptors. And so the three innovators was obviously Amazon, Google, and um, Apple and Apple prime and Apple Apple so important because Apple invented the smartphone and and the iPad and you know all right. the i yeah devices right but they were solving a problem and and I, I focus on the iPod um, for for years for since since the radio was invented people kept looking for ways to have the voice be more, um, uh, not transparent, but uh, more transportable. That's the word I'm looking right. for. And um, so, you know, we eventually had radios in our cars and then, and then uh, cassette players and then CD players in our cars, mm -hmm. right? And then we had portable CD players and cassette players in our big boom boxes and, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, uh, Sony had gotten to where they were making some smaller things. So you had the Walkman, right? Both right. in, in uh, CD and, and cassette. But you still had to carry everything with you, right? Uh, a lot of people remember, you know, I, I certainly do, having my car filled with CDs. Right. And, you know, everywhere uh -huh. in the car, right? So you and trying to find them and not scratch them. them and, <laughs> right, and everything. And so what did, what did um, uh, 
um, Steve Jobs do? He said, well, I can take this device I've created, which has memory on it, and we can download everything. And now all you have to do is have this little device that you carry right. around and it's got everything on it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so um, that, that changed the whole world. That and a smartphone changed the whole world. Yeah. And there are lots of stories about the companies that went out of business because of that too. That's correct. Yeah. A whole lot mm -hmm. of them. A whole yeah. lot of them. Yeah. Right. And then you, and then you get to Google, right? And um, Google decided that they wanted to put everything in print on the internet. And so they started out to do that. Mm -hmm. And it took a while, but um, once they got there, right? Now, what happened, like an example was, I, was, I spent a little bit of time with a small yellow page publisher in the late 1990s. Mm -hmm. And you'll remember that story from mm -hmm. the book, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I was just brought in to try and make things more efficient for them. But I, I talked to the CEO. I said, we really need to look at what the internet's going to do. Oh, no. Yellow Pages have been around for a long time. They'll be here forever. Right. <laughs> we all know where that goes. Yeah. Yeah. It, within, within about 18 months, he, he managed to sell to, to the Donnelly directory and get some money out of it okay. before it was gone for good. But once, uh, once companies started putting everything online and having their own websites, and that became easier and less expensive, and yp.com came out, yellowpages.com, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, it was all over for the directories. Yeah. And, and you, have to, you have to look at those things. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's such an important message. I mean, you're talking about executives uh, in the companies, but also just dealing with technical people that I work with a lot, even like CTOs and uh, other people in leadership positions in technology, looking outwards beyond just inside the company or, or inside the technology, but you're talking about the society and what people want, not just where the technology can take us as being aware is huge. That's correct. And mm -hmm. as as our society gets to where, first of all, they want things more immediate than mm -hmm. they did before. It's, this, it's, it's the same thing that you saw with the internal combustion engine and the automobile, right? Why did everybody gravitate to the automobile? Because it was faster than the horse. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and it was better than the train, right? The train, you had to go to the station. You could only go mm -hmm. where the train went. And then you had to take a horse or something to get to your end destination. So with the automobile, you could go anywhere you wanted, whenever you wanted to. Wow, we're back to the eye. <laughs> back to the exactly. eye. Back to the on the psychology section the, here. Yeah, it's all back to what I want. Yes. What I and want. It's easier for me, faster, more convenient. Yeah. That's correct. And so technology is bringing things to be faster and more convenient. If you mm -hmm. you know just going back to online shopping, forgetting all the online everything else, but right. just online shopping right? We used to have to go out to the store. And how long does it take to go out to the store? You know, yeah. Uh, you, you talked about going to doing the back to school shopping at Sears. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was a planned family event. Go, you know, on this day, right. we're going to go do back to school shopping and mm -hmm. you kids are going to pick out your outfits that you're going to have for the year and stuff like that. Now we sit here at midnight <laughs> and, <laughs> and shop, right? I think my back to, my involvement in the back to school shopping today is uh, 
breaking down all the boxes and putting them right. in the recycle. My <laughs> daughter just recycle. takes care of it on her own. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I wanted to bring up um, another issue that I think is really relevant to the audience on, on the Reinventing Nerds podcast, and that is the people side of this and the change. And like you're going into companies and talking about these changes. And like you even gave the example with the Yellow Pages, you know, the, the directory company and saying the Yellow Pages are going to be out. And, you know, resistance to change is something that comes up a lot for people. You know, the human side of that. How do you deal with that? What, how does that come up for you and your work? And how do you get past that, help people get past that? Well, it comes up all the time. And sometimes I can get past it and sometimes I don't. Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes it's an evolution. Most of the time it's an evolution in thought process, right? So um, I'm frequently brought in by members of boards because they tend, they tend to see it first. That's, okay. that's their job. Mm -hmm. And so they, they tend to see it first. Sometimes the executives, like I said before, see that they have a problem or they're concerned about something and they don't exactly know what the solution is. Mm -hmm. um, but like one example of a company that I transformed from a traditional marketing company to a digital marketing company, the CEO did recognize that his, uh, because of disruptions that were coming in the type of marketing he did, and in the marketing industry in general, that his company was gonna lose value. And the problem he had was he wanted to sell and the company was gonna start losing value fast and his investment bankers had told him he wasn't gonna get the prices that he wanted. Okay. So his board and him realized that he needed to make a change. But even with that, with the board bringing me in and he knew that he was having trouble, it still took him about seven months to finally say, okay, I'll go with what you want to do. He had to fail on a couple of things that he tried before he let me come in. And, but to his credit, when I came in, he gave me complete control. Really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know sometimes people need to experience it. The abstract is hard. Um, you know, I'm, gosh, you know, as a parent, I see that all the time with kids. They're like, no, 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 I need to make my own mistakes. Thank you. I'm not going right. to learn from your lessons, <laughs> but adults too, they have to go through it themselves. Um, but I, I like the way you said that the consequences usually are dire enough that people realize they have to change. And that comes up a lot with change. It's just like, you know, you, it's uncomfortable to make a change. It's, it's scary. It's unknown. But if you realize that that's the better alternative than the loss you're going to see by not changing, that can often propel you forward. So it sounds like you're seeing some of that too. That's correct. And, and in this day and age, the race is that you need to come to that conclusion and change before a disruptor comes in and Ooh. puts you out of business. Yeah. And just being I mean, aware of what the disruptors, the possible disruptors are. Right. Mm -hmm. So for example, if, if we look at some of the disruptors I profiled, um, the, the first one that everybody uses is Uber. Right. I mean, Uber's practically destroyed right. the taxi industry. Mm -hmm. But here again, it was so simple because unless you're in New York or Chicago, maybe Boston, it's very hard to get a taxi anywhere. Right. I just had this conversation with my husband last week. So, you know, and, and so even if you had looked at New York in New York, why is it easy to get a taxi? Part, part of it has to do with the, you know, with mm -hmm. with the way it's all laid out. And um, so the taxis are just driving all the time. And so, you know, you stand out there and take your life in your hands and right. stand in front of a taxi driver. I mean, I had plenty of clients in New York. I spent a lot of years working in New York. I, I know how to 
how scary it is when you're first there mm -hmm. to go out and have to stand on the street and flag down a taxi and hope he doesn't run over you. Yes. <laughs> but um, so now, you know, with, with apps and everything, uh, Uber just, just kind of did what Steve Jobs did in, in solving the problem with our, with our entertainment. He said, you know what, the problem with getting cabs is you got to call them and wait forever. So how can we call them faster? We have them out roving around just like they are in New York and Chicago. And um, you have an app and you just say, I need, I need, you know, transportation. And the one closest to you says, here, you know, here I am. And, and it's all done on the app and the person shows up and it gets paid. You don't have to worry about paying for them. You know, the other yeah. problem with getting in a taxi is, do I have the, the cash to pay for the taxi, right? right? Yeah, I remember so, when they started taking credit cards, that was like, oh, thank goodness, yeah. Right, but then they had to swipe them and, you know, all of that. So so you're getting dropped off at the airport, and oh my God, I got to catch my flight. And <laughs> I got to spend five more minutes with the taxi cab driver because he's got to swipe my credit card or write, down, write it all mm -hmm. down. With Uber, your credit card's on file and right. it just gets charged. Right, right. I mean, that is convenience. huge. Right. The convenience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here we are back to some similar themes here. So exactly. yeah. Uh, and your book really outlines a lot of what these key themes are. Um, so how can people get your book and uh, when will it come out and how can people reach you if they want to learn more? Well, um, I'm working with the publisher on it right now and I'm hoping to get a date before the end of October that it'll be available. Um, once it is available, it'll be available on Amazon, just like everybody is. Yeah. <laughs> so that'll be the easiest way to get it All right. on Amazon. I will also have up a website page, but the website page will direct you to Amazon. Um, and I'm sorry, what was the other question? Well, how can people reach you? Oh, how can, sorry, how can people reach me? That's important. Uh, the two best ways are my cell phone and my email. Okay. So uh, my email is Linda, Linda spelled with a Y, L-Y-N-D-A, at ljrcs.com. Um, you can also go to ljrconsultingservices.com and there is a way to email me from there. Mm -hmm. And then my cell phone number is 818-216-7264. I love it when people put their cell phones on my podcast. That's that really means they are accessible when they say that. Yeah. So thank you. <laughs> oh yeah, I definitely am. Text or phone. And um, the, the other thing that I find interesting is on LinkedIn, when people don't leave an email or a telephone number on LinkedIn, it's like, hello, you know, I've got, <laughs> I got my cell phone plastered on everything. <laughs> yeah. I know some people are like, don't talk to me. <laughs> But oh, as a book author, you're not going to have that choice anymore. Yeah, this is exciting. Well, I think you've really given us a great story, Linda, about what is digital transformation and what is transformation in general and what kind of disruptors we need to pay attention to um, and how we have to make that change. And, and your book is going to give all the details there. So I hope people have a chance to to get, go on either the Reinventing Nerds website to find your access info or follow up on your text number and phone that you just gave out. So um, any last words that you'd like to tell our listeners and their, their journeys here before we wrap up? Well, I guess the main thing I'd want to say is don't be afraid of it. The technology mm -hmm. has been changing society for over 200 years, or actually really since the printing press was invented. And 
when the printing press was invented, you know, people thought the world was going to come to an end. And um, so we're just going through another round of, of change and on ways to be more efficient and, and effective and get the most out of our lives. And so don't be afraid of it. Just find ways to bring it to your advantage. I'll, I'll close with, as, as you know, in the book, KBB, Kelly Blue Book was, um, I collaborated a little bit with the transformational CEO. He wrote my foreword and gave me the KBB story. And KBB was a small publishing company that just published the value of used vehicles since the early 20th century for manufacturers and dealers. And they made, a, you know, they made a good living, but it was kind of a side business. And when he transformed them into a digital company that supplied all the information digitally that you needed to find and evaluate with um, a used vehicle, and now you can get it, get it um, uh, financed online and everything, mm -hmm. their profits soared. They became a large company, a company known worldwide, right? And, and became a hugely successful company. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Look at, look at the opportunities. Find the disruptors and look for the opportunities. And there's many, many out there. Excellent. Thank you so much, Linda, for being sure. a guest on Reinventing Thank Nerds. Thank you, Joni. As you know, this nerd has been reinvented. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks. And thanks to all of our listeners and viewers as well. You can find us at reinventingnerds.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. And we'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Reinventing Nerds and encourage you to apply what you learned to help you communicate better. For a free consultation with Joni to see how she can help you further, please visit reinventingnerds.com. Until then, Embrace your inner nerd and remain true to yourself while you develop your communication strategies.